You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Ecclesiastes 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so today is going to serve as sort of an introduction to a new series in Ecclesiastes titled Chasing After the Wind that will become abundantly clear why it's titled that. Now, the narrator of Ecclesiastes introduces us to the main voice of the book. This is a person known as the preacher, or some of your translations read the teacher, which is a descendant of David. This is a figure that is supposed to spark in our minds a Solomon-like king. Some believe that this is Solomon, others believe it's not Solomon, but what it is supposed to spark in our minds is someone that resembles Solomon in all of his wisdom, all of his riches, all of his might. And the preacher, or the teacher, is a sort of tour guide who is inviting us to consider life in a realistic way. One that will and it should make us extremely uncomfortable. He is essentially going to say, listen, Take off your little uh, rosy-colored glasses, wipe that fake little smile off your face, quit pretending like you got life figured out, because you don't, and let's take an honest and long, uncomfortable look at life and the prospect of your future, because it's probably more bleak than you're willing to admit, and it's probably more bleak than your loved ones were willing to tell you. Welcome to church. Ecclesiastes is a portion, or found in a portion of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, that is known as the wisdom literature. If you look to the left there, you're going to see that it's right after Proverbs. It's found in a section of scriptures with books like Proverbs and the book of Job, but almost immediately we can see that there's something very odd about this book. This is unlike anything else we see in the Holy Scriptures. As one commentator put it, wisdom is the base camp. But this teacher is an explorer who will constantly set out to push the boundaries. He's going to take us far from the safety of biblical orthodoxy. He's going to take us far, far away from a typical Christian 
message and into the wild desert of human experience in order to explore all of the various paths that we as people tend to go down, all the way down to the logical end. And there at the end of each path, what he's going to do is he's going to invite us to get honest about what we see there. Okay, you've seen all that life can give you. Was it everything that you'd expected? Was it what you thought you would get? As I'm reading through Ecclesiastes, the, the preacher reminds me of the dad who catches their kid smoking a cigarette and then says, all right, let me see you smoke that whole stinking pack. Let's see where this goes. You, you think that wealth and financial security is the answer? Okay, let's go down that path. What does it all amount to? You gather and you gather and you gather and maybe you accumulate some wealth, but then you die and then you give it to an ungrateful entitled child that didn't work hard for it and is going to spend it on frivolous crap. Was it everything that you thought it would give you? Or you think sex and fame and pleasure is what it's all about. All right, let's explore that too. You think meaningful achievements is going to give your life meaning and purpose and a sense of identity? All right, let's check that out. Or you think being a good, moral, religious person is going to mean that your life always goes well? Let's burst that bubble too. Ecclesiastes is a meticulous process of elimination. This path, empty. This path leads to loss. This path is never going to satisfy you. And narrowing down and narrowing down over 12 chapters so that by the end, when he finally concludes, in chapter 12, by the way, when the tension is almost unbearable, there's only one logical path remaining, a path that leads to lasting life and fulfillment. But you have to promise me you're willing to hang in there until the very end, okay? Along the way, he invites us to ask very difficult questions about our existence, big questions like, what is the point of it all? If you've ever asked that question, what's the point of all this? You're in good company. And the book of Ecclesiastes is for you. Or questions like, is, is any of this really worth it? What is, like, is, is it worth it? What I do? What I... Why do things work the way that they do? Is there any reason to continue to care? And there are going to be really timely questions too, like why am I always so tired and feel so worn out? Why am I always exhausted? Or how about this one? Why, am I all, why is it always that I am so busy and so bored at the very same time? Why does each day seem so mundane like I'm caught in this weird, twisted time loop? Why do I feel like something's still missing when I get the thing that I wanted? Within these next, uh, with, actually within these two verses, uh, verses two and three, the preacher introduces us to the main themes that are going to frame the next 12 chapters that we're going to explore over the summer. So look with me again in verses two through three. There are four themes I'm going to pick out here, but let's read the verses first. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So let's look at four themes here briefly. The first is all is 
Vanity. What does that mean? Well, despite the various ways that people have sought to understand this mysterious book, and there are a lot of theories about what this book is about throughout the centuries, every commentary I read agreed on this one point, that the meaning of this word vanity, whatever it means, the meaning of this word determines what the book is trying to convey. Our, our English translations say vanity, or maybe some of your translations read meaninglessness or futility. Because of that, it's easy to think that the author is saying something to the effect of nothing matters, it's all empty, it's all meaningless, there is no point to life, just give up. But the word here that is repeated over 30 times in this book is the word hevel. And in the original Hebrew language, what this word hevel means is mist or smoke or vapor. So the 30-something times you will see this again throughout this book, when you see that word vanity or you see that word futility or meaninglessness, what the Bible is trying to convey is a word picture, mist, smoke, vapor. And that's important because he isn't saying that life has no meaning. He's not saying that life is completely empty and doesn't matter. What the preacher is saying, however, is that everything in life is elusive and fleeting. Like chasing after the wind, it can't be caught. Like Peter Pan trying to chase his elusive shadow, it's slippery, it's going to keep you chasing after it. Or like smoke, it's there, it's real, it has, you know, like property and everything, but it can't be grasped. Smoke can't be grasped. And that right there, my friend, is why life is so frustrating. See, we are master manipulators. Think about every advancement in human technology is seeking to manipulate something. We've been waiting to try to get solar on a roof forever. The concept behind this is wild. We are harnessing the sun's power. <laughs> Okay, big shot. Or storing energy, or leveraging relationships, or innovating travel, or directing resources, or maximizing outcomes, or determining this, or determining that. It's all based on the illusion that life can be controlled. That we are smart enough, and that we're innovative enough to take life by the horns and steer it where we want it to go. And then years like the last two years have shown us that even the smallest variables, in fact, microscopic variables, have the ability to completely derail us. We are not in control. Can I get an amen? And we were never intended to live like we were. Never. It never was the goal, and it never is going to be the goal of your life, to be in control. Give it up. Stop chasing after the wind. It's a fool's errand. Here's a relevant question. Why are we so tired? I have not met a single person in the last, I don't know, two, three, four, de decade that has told me when I ask them, hey, how are you doing? Their answer is, I feel refreshed. I feel great. 
I feel alive. I feel more awake than I've ever felt. What is it? I'm so tired. For goodness sakes, our children I'm tired. I'm weary. Maybe it's because we're spending so much energy grasping at smoke, chasing the wind. All is vanity. The second theme that we see here is actually posed as a question, and this question will reappear throughout the book, and it's, what does man gain? What is the profit from all of our efforts? What is the goal? What are you hoping to achieve? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it the ability to rest? Are you trying to gain someone's acceptance or your own acceptance? What is gained by all of this? See, the preacher is probing our motives here. What, what drives you? What, what are you seeking? What gets you up in the morning and keeps you going? And then he now directs us into this sort of like field trip into nature. He says, okay, I want you to consider some things in the world. For instance, the sun that rises each day and brings light to all of mankind, kind of like an important job. But then it hastens back to its place with the expectation to just do it again. There's a little footnote at the bottom of your Bible that's going to say, or the sun pants back to its place to return again tomorrow. And what he's saying is nearly everything you did today or everything you did yesterday is going to be forgotten. But people are just going to expect you to do it again today. The job is never complete. No rest, no reward, just the demand for more and more and more and more. And do it again tomorrow while you're at it. Or the wind chasing and chasing and circling and circling, never ceasing. Or the rivers pushing millions and millions of gallons of water into the sea each and every day. And yet the ocean is like, what? Drop in the bucket, man. I'm still thirsty. Keep it coming. You can stack accomplishments. You can stack friendships. You can stack bread or money. You can stack sexual experiences. You can stack your lovers. You can stack your degrees. You can stack your promotions. You can stack your vacations. You can stack even some religious good deeds. And at the end of the day, the void remains. It just wasn't enough, and it's never enough. It never quite satisfies. It never quite adds up. It never hits like it's supposed to. Another theme that he explores here is all the toil. I want you to, to envision in your mind right now a sandcastle. And it's a sandcastle that you are building, one that you craft and shape and invest a ton of creative energy and time into. You've got the ramparts, you've got the tower, you've got the moat, you've got the fancy doors, you've got the, the perfect, you know, like water to sand ratio. You know what you're doing. It is a one-of-a-kind sandcastle. And what Ecclesiastes is going to show us is that your life is like that sandcastle. Building, 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 care, energy, investing yourself, effort, or the word here, toil, and just when you are finally ready to kick back and to enjoy all that you have built, at that very moment when you're ready to rest and enjoy it, 
it suddenly and tragically washed away by the waves and blown by the coastal wind so that there is virtually no trace that you nor your accomplishments were ever even there. Erasing the memory of you. No cute footprints in the sand. No shapes or outlines. Just that scattered sand pattern that you see on beaches welcoming the next person to come and build in the same place and be forgotten just like you. I recently read an article in the Harvard Business Review that said, whether this is honest or not, who knows, but out of people surveyed, nine out of 10 people are willing to earn less money in order to do more meaningful work. In other words, for people today, and especially among millennials and now Gen Zers who are entering into the workplace, their top priority is not higher pay. Their top priority is not better benefits. Their highest priority is finding a job that's going to fill them with meaning and fill them with purpose so that they can leave an impact on the world. These are generations of world changers. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes would say, that's cute. But you are in for a rude awakening. You think you're special? You're not. You think that you're going to change the world? So did the countless forgotten that came before you. Just like your great-great-grandfather they won't even remember your name. I went on a field trip with my fifth grader to the courthouse, and we're visiting some of the judges' chambers, and we go into one of the judges' offices, and she's got, you know, degrees galore and pictures of famous people, and there's a picture of one, our one-time California governor who is also an actor, which narrows it down to two, and, um, and she says to this class of fifth graders, anyone recognize who this is? It was Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way. And the entire class, no idea. If they forgot Arnie, they're going to forget you too. Human history is a beach full of sandcastles. Each generation, new day. And now the last theme that he explores here that again sort of frames the rest of the book is the theme of life under the sun. This is a phrase that will reappear quite a few times in Ecclesiastes and it's the preacher's way of describing human existence on earth. There is nowhere that you can go in all of creation in order to escape from this hevel, vanity, futility. Romans 8 says in the New Testament that all of creation was subjected to this sort of futility because of sin. It's all under this hovel. It's all under the smoke or the shadow, so to speak. No matter where you turn, no matter where you go, no matter who you run to, for all of us who think the grass is going to be greener on the other side, if it's under the sun, it's an elusive shadow. Now, this is bleak, isn't it? But it's also extremely hopeful 
if you actually catch what he's trying to say, where he's inviting you to lift your eyes. Because here's the rationale. He's, he's going to build the tension. He's willing to do what I am unwilling to do as your pastor. He's willing to let this one go for so long. I'm going to try to conclude this now because I love you. What he's trying to get us to do is to ask this. If this is life under the sun, then what is there beyond the sun? C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Life is extremely bleak, and it's always going to be from the human perspective. But the preacher is nudging us to begin to view life from a heavenly perspective. See, the only way to rise above the futility and the vanishing nature of life under the sun, the only way to experience hope and joy and lasting meaning in all of the shadows, in all of the smoke, is to look beyond it. By considering the very one who rules over the sun, the very one who spoke light and life and everything that is into existence, the eternal one in whom there is no variation or as James tells us, or shadow due to change. The one who took dust or the sand and breathed life into it and formed that into humanity. St. Augustine uh, summarized what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is trying to do like this. He's making us yearn for another kind of life, which is no unsubstantial shadow under the sun, but substantial reality under the sun's creator. In the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul would put it this way, these are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You look around in your life, you look around in the world, the Bible says shadow, 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 smoke, vapor, mist, sand. And yet Christ is the substance. Despite the elusive nature of life under the sun, there is still a way to embrace life and meaning, to obtain it in a real, tangible, and life-changing way. And it's not by grasping at shadows and smoke, but by clinging to true and lasting substance, the one who will never fade, the one who will never break down, the one who will never slip through our fingers. You see, the eye and the ear will only be satisfied as we behold Christ through the hearing of the gospel. And this is the good news that we can embrace today, that Jesus Christ the very Son of God took on flesh and blood, became substance and entered into our existence. The very one who rules over the sun came down underneath it. The infinite became finite and submitted himself to the hevel to experience all the same frustrations of life that we do. The things that we wake up and feel and get frustrated with in the morning, Jesus entered into himself. Weakness, wearisomeness, fatigue, pain, 
suffering. So that through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, we could be raised above it. He subjected himself to vanity so that we could be freed from it. And Paul goes on in Colossians chapter 3 to say this, if then you have been raised with Christ, and that is the question we must consider today, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Get your eyes off the smoke and the shadow and lift them and set them and anchor them to things that are above. This is how our experience of smoke and shadows is transformed. This is how life under the sun, is, which is the way that we will continue our days until we die or Christ returns. This is how that life under the sun becomes substantial. This is how the life that we live today gets crammed with the beauty and the substance and the vitality of heaven above. This is how we invest our lives in a way that will leave a lasting impact, not only for generations and generations to come, but on into eternity so that our legacy is remembered in the history books of heaven. As we set our minds on things above, by raising our eyes above the shadows, by releasing our grasp on the smoke, and by clinging to Christ, who is our life, who is our glory, who is our future, and to sound cliche, who is our reality. Amen? I want to close with, uh, wow, we tore through that. Um, I want to close with some reflection questions that I want to ask you to consider now. And I want to ask you to be pondering over these next three months as we explore this book together. Here are a few questions to consider. What shadows have you been grasping for? Where have you been looking to find meaning? Is it a job? Is it a sense of accomplishment? Is it a relationship? Maybe it's your child or the way that your child turns out. Where have you been looking for meaning in things under the sun? Another question to consider is, what have you been building your life upon? Jesus would sort of pick up this theme in the Sermon on the Mount where he said that there's the wise man that builds his house on the rock, which is meaning building your life on Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, a house that stands. Or there's the fool who builds their life on the sand. Where are you building your life? What are you building your life upon? What are you investing your life into? And the question is this, will it last? Will it endure? And finally, and again, I think that this is a theme that is going to come up quite a bit for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you tired? Are you weary? It doesn't matter, maybe you get four hours, five hours, six hours, eight hours of sleep, you just wake up the, the next day still tired, as tired as before. Are you weary? Are you overwhelmed? Do you feel fatigued? Do you feel just ground down to a stump? 
Whereas Ecclesiastes would describe, is your life full of weariness? The answer's in Jesus today. Where he said in, in Matthew chapter 11, it was a part of our confession. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a rest in Christ that you cannot find anywhere else under the sun. Come to him, whether for the first or the hundredth time today. Return to him and find rest for your soul. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...